Welcome to the Cross-Border Interview Podcast, a podcast about getting out from behind the keyboard and just talking. Each week, we invite a guest or two to sit down and talk about their life and their work. I'm Christopher Brown, your host, and this is the Cross-Border Interview Podcast featuring... Councillor Shane Keating. Um, Councillor Keating, I want to thank you so much for doing this. Greatly appreciate it. Um, Earlier this year, in uh, earlier in 2020, you announced, because this will be airing in 2021, you announced that you will be stepping down from public office at the end of this current term. Uh, We want to talk about, we had a week-long series last season of municipal councillors and elected leaders, and we thought we would expand it this year to do a month long. So I'm glad that you're willing to sit down and chat about your time in office. My first question usually to all elected leaders is this. Where did your sense of duty come from? You know, uh, my previous career, of course, I was 31 years in education. Um, And I mean, that in itself leads you to understand an awful lot of what goes on in the in the community, um, you know, in people's lives, because, you know, literally tens of thousands of students have crossed my path over, you know, over that time. Um, Being involved in uh, many people. Uh, said, boy, it must be much different being an uh, elected official um, than being a school principal or, you know, an educator or a teacher or an assistant principal. All these. I said, no, it's exactly the same. Um, you know, when I was a principal, I was dealing with, uh, you know, with parents, with students, with administration, with the community. I was in meetings involved in projects. You know, you're, you're dealing with the community around the school. Um, you're talking with public funds. Um, so really, every the skills and attributes that I gained there, all they did was transfer. Um, you know, it, it, totally different mindset, of course, and a different level. You know, you're talking about uh, budgets in the billions rather than you know in the in the hundreds of thousands to some degree. But it, it's always been there, and of course, my personal interest in uh, uh, you know public issues or current affairs and all of these, uh, you know, that, that stems from, from me, but also being in that position as well. Uh, you get an awfully good sense, uh, you know, when I say seeing tens of thousands of students in, th- in uh, that long, um, you know, of the differences in society. Um, you know, you, you come out and, and everyone thinks they know, um, but really they don't. And, Uh, Having a willingness and an openness to look at the other side is crucial in any position that I that I would consider as an elected official. Um, And and along that lines, I'll give you one of my sayings off the top is uh, there's a fine line between a politician and elected official, but there's a massive difference. And uh, if you can follow that, you can kind of see where I've come from. Uh, But my initial jump into um, politics in this case as I was the uh, chair of a community association that used to be in the, the municipality of Rocky View, and then it was annexed by the city of Calgary. Um, and the, the differences uh, and, and the difficulty that we had with that annexation of being absorbed into the city uh, led me to say, you know, maybe I can do something that's, you know, a little different. It, it, it um, didn't sit right with me on how things had to be according to the city rather than how we were originally. And, and the history of this community association goes back to the 1930s. Um, so, I mean, there was a, a lot of history there and a plan. Um, and the, the city said, well, you must be like everyone else in the city, not the way you are. And, and that didn't sit right with me. So yeah. I, I threw my name in and the uh, sitting alderman at that time was, was leaving and running for mayor. So I said, well, you know, I'll see what I can do. Um, before your actual entrance into elected politics, had you had a political interest beforehand? Had it been something on your mind or was it something that came out of that, like you said, that conversation of the city of Calgary telling your community what you, what you are expected to be like and not the vice versa? Yeah, well, I have to say there was always an interest, um, no action to ever taken. Um, you know, I, I it wasn't something that I... Uh, I pursued, but the interest was always there and seeing what, you know, what was going on. And, and, and that comes back to, uh, you know, whether you're, you're interested in, in helping the community, because I mean, as a community association president, um, you know, as a school principal, um, as a, uh, 
member who in many, many different communities have coached, uh, you know, uh, minor sports and, and worked on different clubs, uh, kinsmen, a number of these sorts of things. So there was always that willingness to, you know, to go outside and, and to do something, um, to actually go forward and, and uh, say, uh, you know, I want to run uh, in any aspect. Um, that didn't come until the opportunity was there. And, and in this case, it, it, it seemed to fit. So um, there was a was an interest, but no action ever taken. Uh, I, I, I never sat on any uh, political boards, you know, for elected officials, any uh, constituency boards, any of these. And in fact, I was never involved in any campaigns uh, per se. Um, there was one just before this where a friend wanted to get the nomination for a political party. Um, so I bought a membership and I talked to a few people and said, you know, you should vote for him. He's helped us out at their, our community association. And that's been the extent. Um, so until this came along, um, and I think more or less just watching the news and keeping up on political aspects was my uh, my participation at that point. So I want to I want to digest into your comment about being an elected official and a politician. Um, sometimes uh, people get into politics for a certain reason and they want to champion a issue or another issue. And then once they're in, they get complacent sometimes and they become that politician of I'll go knock on doors during the campaign, but during the time in office, I'll stay, uh, stay in sort of the hub of the governance of that time or that location. What would you classify yourself as? Do you still classify yourself as an elected official or do you classify yourself as a politician now? Oh, absolutely not. I mean, I have stated in council, I said, I'm an elected official, not a politician and an elected official. Uh, and here's one of my other sayings that I, so when I decided to run, I mean, I had no experience. Yeah. I went out and bought a couple books on how to run a campaign. Um, you know, and so I read and did a little research before I jumped into it. And, and I pulled out a few things from there, which, which have stuck with me for the last 10 years. Um, and so the second saying I have is, um, being a, an elected official should never be the best job you ever had because then the job becomes more important than the job you are elected to do. Okay. And that's, that's my difference between a, uh, an elected official and a politician is uh, an elected official always looks at the basis of why they got in, what they're there for, what's the purpose of their job is to look after the residents in their area. In our case, it's, you know, it's wards, um, you know, they're there for the betterment of, of the community. They're all of those things. Uh, a politician is out there to um, advance themselves in whatever aspects. And I, I've often said there's there's three kinds of politicians or elected officials. Um, there, there's those who are there for the job, meaning that they're there for the betterment. There are those who are there for, I guess, the the status to some degree. Um, you know, and, you know, I mean, you get, you do, and there's no sense denying that you get invited and you get a few more privileges than, than other positions there. And then there are those who are there for themselves. Um, and those who are there, and again, you always cross those paths a little bit, you know, to some degree, because I mean, uh, they, they, they come together, but it's the main purpose of why you're involved. Um, you know, you get invited to a number of, of things that you would never get invited to, you know, and so you, that's that ability to get a few extra privileges, if you want to call it that, like to, to major balls or to banquets or to, to events and things like that, that, that come, they're little perks that come with the job. Um, but they're also the job because you're there to represent and make sure that you're, you're promoting your ward or your area and, and you can't do it if you're isolating yourself. Um, but it comes back to one of those three things of what's your main purpose. And if you're only there for yourself, um, then obviously, and we've, we've seen it here, and, and it's the style of politics to some degree that has come forward, is I'm going to uh, you know, spread um, not outright untruths, but so close to being untrue that it promotes you and people get into that, that key of weaponized misinformation. Um, but... Uh, uh, it, it's sad when you get into that politician style of mentality and behavior. Uh, if you can stay into that elected official style of behavior and mentality, um, I think you're a far better individual and a far better elected person. Let's talk about that first campaign in 2010. You said you hadn't run a campaign. You were reading books. 
what was the first step for you? Was it was it hard to actually get off the ground? Because in larger municipalities, like uh, larger cities like the city of Calgary, Edmonton, uh, Toronto, you have to have a well-organized machine to win even local municipality, even wards. How did you get it up so quickly? Because it was a vacant seat, so there was a few people running against you. How did you get a team around you so quickly that you were able to be successful? Or was there hiccups along the way? Oh, there's always hiccups for sure, and you you have to you have to uh, adjust those and move forward in 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 a you know many different manners. But I wouldn't even say it was that quickly. Um, you know, it was stirring in my mind probably uh, a little over a year before the election, um, because we all knew that this individual was going to leave and run for mayor, um, but he you know he hadn't come out and announced it and then move forward from there in that aspect. So. It was an inkling there is, should I or should I not? And I was getting to the end um, of my um, education career. I mean, I wasn't quite there. And I left about three years too early to, you know, to really finish off uh, my retirement uh, packages, if you want to say it, and things like that. But it, it worked out. So, I mean, it, the uh, so I started, you know, thinking about where I'm going and what I'm doing. And, and well, uh, I would say well over a year before. Um, because I remember in the in the summer uh, before talking to the the sitting uh, alderman that, and I said, well, why don't you run for mayor and I'll run in your place and we can really work on this community association. And this was actually sitting out our community hall at the time where we we were trying to get some things done. Um, and uh, of course, his response was, who knows, you know, type of thing. But um, since then, uh, I bought the books and I would say I bought the books before uh january of the election year and the election's always in october yeah uh, and then i you know was sitting on a number of committees in the area as well uh, uh, we had one called seekers which was the southeast recreational society um, that was looking at building new rec centers and and you know you meet people along the way um and so uh i happened to you know talk to one individual and just say hey i'm thinking of this are you interested to, you know because they were communications and things like this and stuff. Um, so you, you just talk to a few over the time. So if, if you wake up in the morning and say, hey, I'm going to run, um, you really haven't put much thought into it. Um, if you have a process and you mull things over for an extended period of time and you formulate your style and who you are and what you want to do, uh, and then you start looking for people, you're going to find the right people. Because, like, again, if you wake up one morning and say, I'm going to phone this one and this one and that one, you don't know if they're the right people that will emulate your style or your personality, or are they just going to get you elected? And, and that's not what I wanted to do. So uh, along the way, and I'll tell you a little story, the, uh, I went to the um, individual who uh, the previous alderman who's, who's going to run for mayor. Um, and uh, to a, a huge fundraiser or an event that they had, and you had to pay a hundred and some dollars to get into it. Um, so I had my little business cards, you know, that I was going to run for alderman, but I hadn't said anything yet. And so he announced uh, that he was running for mayor. And uh, so then I took my business cards and I started walking around to people and I gave him a business card and I said, is he cold yet? You know, so, you know, like this, so that, that's who I am, you know, as, as um, and uh from that, and my business card had a very important message on it. It says, I'm aspiring to be your alderman. And, and that aspiring comes back. And a lot of people picked up on that word. That comes back to the point of who you are, what you want to do, the elected official aspect. Um, you're not there. You're not trying to get convince them that you're the best. You're trying to convince you that you're the best for them. So that aspiring aspect. And, and it's a simple word, but it, it makes a lot of difference when you look at it. And uh, so from that, um, actually, I had a couple of people call me from that evening and say, hey, um, we're we live in the ward. We're interested. Um, can we have, you know, meet for a cup of coffee or tea? And um, from that meeting, uh, I gained three individuals who were absolutely um, the best match I could find who had political experience. Um, and they knew uh, many things. Uh, I never was on Twitter or any of the social media, and they were experts in that area. So, um, you know, that's, I think, where you begin to, to lay out the strategy and the plan. And it isn't so much that you lay out a plan, you develop a plan as you go. Um, some people might say that municipal politics can be a 
an election of favorites. It's not the best idea that potentially always wins. It might be the person who is most well-known, the most, the person who is uh, the most prominent person on the ballot. After your election in 2010, did you reach out to your fellow competitors and say, hey, just because I won or just because I'm the successful alderman here doesn't mean that we can't still work together moving forward? I can't say I said that. I did reach out and say, um, you know, uh, thanks for the, you know, thanks for the uh, participation and, and, you know, that sort of thing. Um, uh, I have to sadly say I ran against uh, five, four individuals. There were five on the ballot. Um, and my first time running and I'm not blowing my own horn, but I'm quite happy, you know, with the way it was. Um, I got 43% of the vote. Uh, and, you know, when you you divide it up that way and there were, there were really three of us that had the potential um, or, you know, we're in the running. The other two, uh, they were there, but uh, um, again, they, they didn't have, uh, whether it was funds or just uh, determination or whatever, but they, they weren't really players, but there were three of us were there. And, um, you know, when you, you reach out and unfortunately I didn't hear back from, from those individuals, um, or, you know, he, cause usually you do, you reach out and say, congratulations, or, you know, thanks for the participation, but where, yeah. where you go from, um, and I mean, coming back to your point, I think municipal politics is slightly different than, um, federal or provincial. Now it's not slightly, it's vastly different, um, <laughs> And people don't understand that. I mean, we have a present councillor who stands up often, uh, and I think he's stopped it now because I told him to quit. Um, he would say um, when someone disagrees, well, the member opposite. Well, we don't have member opposites in municipal politics, and we never should. If we ever get into parties like many cities do, it's it's absolutely terrible. Um, but, uh, you know, you, you look at it in there, and one of the individuals that I ran against in 10 uh, had a quote from an MP and a very popular MP on his brochure. Um, and he came in second and uh, I wouldn't say a distant second, but certainly second by a, by a fair bit. Yeah. Um, you know, so uh, it is in many cases a name. And I think the sad part is municipal politics is the level that affects you the most, um, you know, and, uh, and it's the least, participated or the least researched and the difficulty of the other ones is if you win the nomination for a party um, that determines whether you win or lose yeah. it's not who you are and that's the sad sad part about the uh, you know the whole party politics and, and the other ones in municipal politics um, if you aren't the candidate uh, especially in a case like that where the uh, incumbent is leaving if you don't go out and convince enough people that you are the candidate, um, then it's on you. It's, it's not on anyone else. And if you don't do well, it's on you. It's not on anyone else. Um, and, and that's the way it should be. Um, but you have to, you have to continue to go out and make sure that your personality, your individual style and your willingness continues to go forward. Um, in 2010, like we've talked about so far, you were, you were the successful candidate in Ward 10. Talk to me about that stepping into the council chambers for the first time being sworn in after being sworn in. What type of uh, weight was put on your shoulders in that moment? Because you have now gone from someone who has been a political observer for all, almost a year to now someone who's making decisions that could affect day-to-day -day lives. Like you said, municipal politics is one of the most influential day-to-day -day politics of every person's life. Now you are in the heart of Calgary's uh, uh, political uh, atmosphere uh, universe. How, how much weight was put on your shoulders at that moment? Well, if you take it to heart, an awful lot. Um, yeah. And again, that comes back to my three styles of, of uh, elected officials. If you're that one that there, you're, do, you're there to do the best you can for the community, um, that's a huge weight. And, and I have to tell you, honestly, I was never more nervous in my life than the swearing in ceremony. And, and um, you know, I, I've spoken to, uh, you know, at many different things before this. Um, you know, and, and to a few thousand people in a couple of cases. But here, um, whether it was just the whole impact and and my uh, my stepson-in-law said at one time, he says, you know, you're you're preparing yourself to lose. But are you preparing yourself to win? 
Um, you know, and that's a big thing. I mean, it's it's easy uh, in many cases if you have that mentality to say, yeah, you know, darn it, I came in second and I really had a good time and all of these sorts of things. But um, darn it, I won. And, and what the heck do I do? You know, um, and, and you have to get that mentality around it. And that comes back to the, the styles of elected officials again is, is if that weight on you is the correct weight, uh, the intent behind what you're doing is correct, then the weight is tremendous. And that doesn't even talk about, uh, you know, as I said, I've, I've been dealing with public bu budgets and things like that for, for decades. Um, but to go from a, a building a new school, for example, which is um, being involved in, uh, you know, the construction and, the, and not overseeing, but just being involved as a principal, because I was the de principal designated that brand new school and, and they were building it uh, right beside the uh, set of portables that I was uh, having students in. Um, but, you know, $14 million or so. Um, but going from there and, you know, you're talking about now budgets in the billions and the hundreds of millions, uh, that's drastic. So the level uh, of uh, understanding and the level of, of um, experience and the level of, of what you're doing, because I often chatted with, uh, with family shortly after I was elected and talking about a topic. And, and they say, you know, you're talking about tens of millions of dollars. And to me, it was already, you know, part of the ballgame, um, you know, to others, they, they, it was, uh, you know, a total different grass, like they, an individual talking in their budget, you know, they're talking of hundreds and thousands. Um, here, I had to be a part of and one fifteenth part of, you know, a $3 billion budget um, and being thrown from, and the difficulty is, is you're elected in late October or mid-October, uh, you're sworn in in late October and you have your budgets for the next year um, in mid-November. So uh, less than a month of being active, you're listening to presenters about how you should be spending, you know, a $3 billion uh, budget and where you're going and from the, so that is, uh, that is, uh, is the weight you're talking about. And if you take it to heart, uh, you, you darn hope you're making the right decisions. And then you do the research. I mean, there were days where you sat and you poured over documents and you poured over documents and, and you had to think on your feet drastically during the presentations and, you know, and a number of things like that. So uh, it, it is, it's not something you're prepared for, um, but it, it's something you have to immerse yourself in. And they, they say you're drinking from a fire hose, which is, uh, which is absolutely true. But uh, I think it's even more than that. It's, it's, willing to make the, you know, you have to make a decision. Uh, you can't sit there and say, I abstain. That's according to our, uh, the bylaws, it's impossible. You're, you're there and you say yes or no. Um, now the and uh, you act, go ahead. You actually hope you make the right choice of those yeses or no. Yeah. So, well, and that's what I want to get at because municipal politicians have it the hardest in Alberta, if you're elected in Calgary, you go to Edmonton. If you're elected in Calgary, you go to Ottawa federally. If you're elected in Calgary Municipal, you're still in the same community that you were elected in, and you're going to the same grocery store most days to go get your groceries. So when you're making those yes and no's decisions, how hard is it to have elected official time and personal time? Because as an elected official in municipalities, you are on 24-7. Well, and, and that's where I, uh, I go back from my previous career. I mean, it was no different. Um, in a large city, uh, you could be a principal of a school nowhere near to your community um, and maybe never see them. But you're still, you're still out there because if you do something as a principal, um, it hits the papers pretty easy. Um, you know, so uh, that wasn't – and I taught in many small communities. So uh, I coached in, you know, minor sports – many of the students that went to my school, um, you know, and, and uh, I worked in many of the, uh, the uh, civic clubs like Kinsman and a few other of these with the parents of my students. So uh, that wasn't new to me and it, it wasn't an issue to me. And, and you, you kind of live by the rule. And I remember going to uh, a session <clears throat> where um, the clerk's office was talking about FOIP and a number of these things. And, you know, when we were first elected, like shortly within the week after we were elected, trying to give us a little education, I guess. Um, 
And some of the candidates or the people that won were just shocked that, you know, other people could uh, send in a request and see your emails. I was dealing with that for 15, 20 years, you know, so the, the aspect of the, of the community wasn't that drastic for me. And I understood it because that's part and parcel of, of community life. Uh, so what was the biggest shocker to, to you? Uh, you know, I joke often and, and probably this is it. Um, I didn't realize how many people disliked me till the day I was elected. <laughs> You know, and so that is the biggest shocker is, uh, um, but even though I knew that there's so many differences out there in society of difference of opinion, different personalities, different viewpoints, um, uh, I never really thought that it would come down to, um, you're an elected official, so I hate you, um, you know, um, and and part of that is probably because of, of interactions in the past where, um, you know, they haven't, uh, people have done it, but done things that they shouldn't have done, I guess is a better way to put it. Um, but that, that inability to separate, and even now we see, uh, you know, council members who are saying this council has to go. And we see that from our own council members. Like it isn't a, here's what's wrong. And I've all in my previous career, I was always a, uh, taught that you don't attack the individual. Uh, you may talk about the topic and say, uh, you know, the way this topic or the way you said this is incorrect. Um, but we have people out there who are so bent on attacking the individual rather than the issue at hand. So I, I would uh, jokingly I'd say that, but that was probably, I guess, where, you know, uh, my biggest issue is many people just aren't interested in the facts and the truth. Uh, many people aren't interested in what you've done or they try to evaluate you on one item. Um, you know, you voted uh, to not expand the dog park and therefore I'll never vote for you again. Um, you know, and they, they negate all of the other votes that enhanced and bettered their community, but because they had a passion about one thing or they didn't like you doing one thing, um, then they, they're mad at you. I, I stopped at one door that had a opposition sign on it, you know, in previous, in future elections. And, and I always did this cause I was looking for information. So I said, Hey, I'm not trying to influence you or anything. I see you have so-and-so sign. Can you just give me an idea of why you have it there? Um, and they, well, I've, I, uh, the response I got is I contacted your office and you never got back to me. And I said, nobody got back to you on what day was this? Cause I'd like to fix that. No, 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 someone did, but you didn't. And end of discussion, you know, like it was, that was by my biggest shocks, the mentality of some individuals. Some people wanted to talk to you at every issue that they have. They don't want to talk to a staffer. They want to talk to the person yeah. who is in that room voting, right? It, and exactly. And, and I mean, my ward is, is the largest geographic ward in the city, and it's the largest populace. Uh, or the, the most populous ward in the city. So um, the difficulty is saying that just because you called uh, doesn't mean I have the capability of getting back to you individually. Um, if you really need to talk to me, then we set that up. But if someone in the office can solve the problem, then why should they not be able to? Because at 100,000 plus individuals in the ward, there's just absolutely no way I can give individual attention to absolutely everyone. Um, but those who desire it, then we work around it. Uh, and then they get mad because, you know, they can't talk to me for a week uh, rather than on the spot. Let's talk about your legacy. Ten years as, as city councillors. What's your most prou uh, 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 proudest achievement so far? And again, I'll say this on the onset because I like addressing this topic more than than any other one. Um, it, it was taking the $52 million tax room to start the Green Line. And I say uh, that was the best decision I ever made. It didn't change your municipal tax bill in any way. What it did is it changed the portion that went from the province to the city. And then, then the key there is uh, if we take that $52 million tax room, dedicate it to a specific project, which of course is the Green Line. Uh, and I mean, that's, that's obviously my most important and most proud of project if it ever gets off the ground now, because, you know, it's been, uh, it's been the ball that's been bouncing for a number of years and, and gosh, I wish someone would catch it in the glove and, and put it to bed. But, um, but that is a huge to be 
to be the catalyst. And, and again, I'm, I'm not trying to say this, you know, because I, I'm promoting myself, <clears throat> but I think everyone will acknowledge, but to be the catalyst that is bringing a um, piece of infrastructure, the largest project in the, in the city's history, uh, the project that'll affect, you know, hundreds of thousands of lives and make, make everything very better. Um, to me is, is, is something that I'm going to look back at for a long time. And, and, uh, Taking that first uh, step of, of uh, and uh, boy, did I get raked over the coals by by a few of the media people, um, you know, who who constantly write that there's always something wrong in the big blue pen. Um, but uh, it was the absolute best decision. And to follow that up to back it, I don't do things just because. And I know you talked earlier about sometimes people get into the the job to do a specific task. Yeah. Um, I was there and, you know, to, to bring transportation and recreation to Ward 12 because we had none. Um, in 10, we had no libraries, no skating rinks, no swimming pools, you know, on and on and on. And of course, we had very poor, uh, and I say very poor, not because it was bad to transit, um, but for you to take a bus to get to the core and it took you over an hour to get there, that's very poor. It's not because it could be any better, it's because it just didn't work. Um, and the C train was the only way, uh, you know, the, to get to improve that situation. And it's been talked about since the eighties, you know, so, I mean, it was, it was time that something was done. So, so for me to be able to, and the way I, I sometimes describe is, is we created the, the opportunities for the green line and then we capitalized on those opportunities. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the fact that I, uh, was able to, at that time uh, to take the 52 million and it was set aside and people came to me during the discussion and, and people, of course, there were some on the right saying, we've got to give it back. And so to give the $52 million back to the individuals, we could have done that without question. And it would have made a 20 or $30 difference a year in your life, um, you know, um, you know, for 10 years. So that's, 200 to $300 in your pocket for 10 years. Um, but taking that for 10 years uh, was over a half a billion dollars to go to a transit project that was well needed. Um, you know, in over 30 years, that's a $1.5 billion project, um, you know, a contribution to the project. So um, that, uh, again, that process, that, that uh, style and that ability for me to talk to the MPs and the MLAs um, and to the other city councillors and to, to realize that this one simple decision uh, would allow the whole thing to go for. Because without that, that decision, we just wouldn't even begin to th even thinking about a, a C-Train. And I'll expand a little bit longer because to go from $0 to $4.5 billion in four years, uh, is uh, pardon me, in three years, is lightning speed when you're talking about public works. Um, because we we had a few dollars set aside to do a study in 2011, uh, and then in 2013, or pardon me, 2015, um, we had commitments of of uh, four and a half billion dollars when it all sat down, and and I mean that's massive. So yeah, um, the green line it it has been a controversial issue in the last I would say. 12 to 18 months prior to that it was something that council was unanimously supporting it was one of the issues that people thought okay this is done this is said and done it's over with you just need to vote you're just waiting for the province to get off their uh blanket and actually put up the money as well um in earlier this year in 2020 this uh council there was uh, some tough talks about the green line what do you chalk that up to? Is it just political maneuvering now because of potential election in a year and a half, or was it actual reasonable, reasonable uh, questions that they were addressing that they were uneasy about the potential location of the green line? I, I think again, if we look at it in in true aspect, uh, a four and a half billion dollar project, and I'm saying this with respect, but at the same time is saying it with reality. Yeah, uh, a $4.5 billion project is not something um, that a city administration should be uh, shepherding or, or overseeing. 
you know, it's just too massive a project. Um, and I don't think we took that serious enough at the start. And so it led for a few um, missteps, um, you know, some overseeing and, and uh, a number of things, even though they had outside um, consultants and, and people coming in and, and looking at it, it probably wasn't done to the oomph degree that it should have been. Um, and so that led to some missteps as far as, as um, staffing and, and putting, you know, people in place and the right there. And it, it, and it allowed for um, difficulties to come forward. It allowed for different interpretations and different views. And, and uh, often when uh, uh, administration goes down, and, and I'm saying administration in, in loose terms, um, but when a, when a public project uh, goes forward, um, it becomes the, the heart and soul. And I have to admit the green line, that was the heart and soul of my, my last, uh, you know, eight years or, or nine years on, I never really thought we would be at this level, you know, in, uh, that shorter time. I never really thought though, that we'd be taking so long to actually finish it. But, um, but, uh, it led for an, an opening. Then we got into uh, personality conflicts because that's what happens to some degree. Um, and then we got into backers of certain personalities. And, and I don't mind saying that the um, prominent business men who came out and, and said, oh, you can't do that. Um, they were really taking their feedback from um, certain personalities. Um, and they're saying, and even though they were looking at it in an honest and open manner, um, the original plan was, was uh, in retrospect, was way too over our heads. You know, building a, a tunnel under the river and going seven stories deep and, you know, and all of these sorts of, but that came from the, you know, we had the, the best engaged project ever in the history of the, of the city. Um, and so we listened to the people and uh, I often say that that's okay, but if you go out with a blank piece of paper, you're going to get absolutely um, every concept in the world thrown at you. Um, I often, uh, you know, an example is you should go out with a, uh, a plan, uh, you know, a style of a cup, uh, you know, to simplify is what I'm, I'm trying to explain here is, and then you talk to the people and say, okay, we're going to build a cup. Um, here's, here's the constraints we're stuck in. What do you think of what we come up with? And, you know, they might tell you they want it taller, shorter, fatter, different color, uh, you know, different style hand. They might want a stem. They might want all of these things, but you're staying within that concept of what your restrictions yeah. are. Um, and, and then you take that feedback, you go back and you change the cup to, to fit what their response is. And then you go back and say, okay, we listened to you. Here's the changes we made. Here's why we made those changes. Here's the changes we can't make. And here's why we can't make those changes. What do you think now? And then they'll give you your feedback again. And then you take that feedback and you go back and you build a cup and you say, take it back to them say, we listened to you. Now we're done. And we didn't do that. Um, okay. We went out with a blank piece of paper and we said, what do you think? And then, of course, we we took feedback from absolutely everybody. Um, and, you know, those who don't want the thing, well, put it underground. The most expensive way you can ever build a, a mass transit, put it underground in this section, you know, extending it here, doing this. Um, those who, who want, um, you know, better pub public realm, well, fix my sidewalks and, you know, do better trees while you're building this which expands the project, you know, and, and on and on. Well, I don't want it. I think you should go, you know, above grade here and then build a station and, you know, and on and on those sorts of types of things. Um, and we went way past uh, any of the capabilities that we could actually do. Um, and going back to the, the plan of let's build a tunnel from um, Stampede Grounds all the way to 16th Avenue in the north underground in the core, under the river, um, through massive uh, changes of geographic makeup or uh, geotechnical, sorry, makeup of the, of, of the ground from bedrock to gravel to, to clay and all of these sorts of things. Um, there should have been some, uh, I think, restrictions put on and said, look, it, we can't afford to do a tunnel. So we can do a tunnel here because that makes sense but we can't go anywhere else and we can't go that deep and we can't do these. They were planning the original uh, concept was to put a tunnel seven stories below ground. And that's yeah. where your station was. So 
the first off is, is how do you get air? How do you do it? The cost of doing it? How do you get people there on a regular basis? You know, like, are you going to take an elevator to go seven stories down to get onto this train um, to connect? That was, I think, the difficulty we had, and that led it open to a whole lot of things. But um, they did come back, and they're, they're in a spot now where I think they're, they're exactly where they should be. They have a technical risk committee that's made up of absolutely fabulous individuals who are internationally round uh, experts in the field. Um, they're looking at getting a management board, um, you know, which again are made up of experts internationally and, and national um, to oversee the actual project itself, not having city administration and, or you know city transit people or you know uh, looking after it, which is, again is. Because there are so many, you know, in a four and a half billion dollar project, there's so many little things that could cost a lot of money if you're not careful, if you don't have the experience behind you. Um, so they're absolutely in, in a fabulous spot now. Um, but because of all the muddy waters, it's taking people a while to get there and saying, let's move on. Now, no one's ever going to be 100 percent happy with no matter any decision that is, that council makes. You have publicly said that. You wish that the Green Line was a little bit further south. Like it went a little bit further south in the southeast uh, in uh, Ward 12. Um, looking back on your 10 years on this issue that you've been so championing, that is your defining legacy in some sense. Are you are you content of where it is and what is going to happen with this Green Line as of today? Yeah. Well, I had an opportunity when some of the other councillors came out of, of saying, let's let's take it to the south and be done with it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I mean, I could have jumped on board, but let's go back to those three styles of elected officials that we first talked about before. Um, if I was a politician, I would have jumped behind that and said, oh, this is absolutely the best and it would have been done with it. Um, but I'm not. And, and I couldn't do that. And, I, and I, I, I wrestled, you know, many times about what to do and where to go and and all of those sorts of things. So so I could have taken the project from Seventh Avenue and wouldn't have made it maybe all the way to Seton, which is the hospital, but would have made it much closer than it is, which is, um, you know, far better. Um, would have been great for my ward. But I have another saying that I, I and, you know, I've come up over the 10 years with lots of little sayings that uh, some I've, I've stole, some I've put together in it. And, and I've often said, and I've used this over and over as I will fight for Ward 12, but not at the detriment of the rest of the city. And for us to do that, uh, I firmly believe, so I'm okay with the decision. Um, I'm disappointed we couldn't, you know, ink out farther south, at least to Mackenzie Town. And, and I believe we'll be getting there shortly. Uh, it still may be part of this because uh, they have set aside such a huge contingency fund and things like this. I'm really hoping that there's going to be funds left over to be able to expand it in phase one. Um, and Mackenzie Town makes a, an absolute sense. So... That's, you know, my fingers crossed, my inkling, but um, the project that we have as it is stands now um, does the most expensive, most complicated uh, section of the Green Line. And it, it finishes and it allows for expansion at south and north, um, station by station, just the same as we've done with all of the other lines, so the red line and the blue line. They built a section uh, to start and then they added a station here. And then two years later, they added another station. And then three years later, they added another station. So the, the piece from 16th Avenue to Shepherd, as it stands now, allows for that development. Um, you know, when you get a few hundred million dollars, and I say a few, um, you know, two, three, four, um, then you can add a station and you can move forward and you expand the line that way. Had we stopped in the core, it would have been very, very difficult for us to continue because you're expensive. You got to go farther underground. You got to get over the river with the bridge, and then where do you go? And you know a number of those things. So um, even though um, it didn't fulfill what I would have loved to have seen, I still think it's probably the best decision uh, that we could do for now. We could have listened and gone on and and uh, gone from Seventh Avenue, um, you know, to, to uh, Auburn Bay or, or Mahogany. Um, or maybe Seton if we were lucky enough. Um, but that ridership drops because you don't get the north ridership. You don't get the the uh, more expansive downtown core by going a little north of 7th Avenue. So you don't get that ridership because people aren't going to walk four blocks to get on a C train. 
Um, if it's one block, they'll jump on and away they go. So you lose, uh, you know, and then even going farther north in that district, you gain two or three blocks on east and west of it, not just the north section. So um, the outlook that the uh, transit, uh, the Green Line team came forward with actually really outlined that this was the best ridership, the most revenue, um, the easiest to expand in the future, uh, and gives a better service to, to both sides, north and south. Um, and then you, you know, and then you battle after that when you are able to extend it, who and where it should go. But according to the criteria um, and multifaceted criteria, we often heard the North people say, well, it, it should be done on ridership because we have the highest ridership on the bus. Um, but the multifaceted criteria, um, the, the South had the worst uh, service. It got more cars off the road. It, it, if you look at the actual stats, um, the only thing the North in 20 years from now will have is a slightly higher population than the Southeast. Um, we beat them as far as uh, um, occupation, more cars off the road, less greenhouse grass, uh, more, more employment centers, hands down, if you look at the stats. Yeah. Um, and we're building for the future. And, and that's why I think this decision is exactly what it should be. It's building for the future. Uh, we're going to transition a little bit here, but it's, this question is a sort of a transitional question. Uh, COVID-19 hit 2020. It has uh, caused some hiccups in Calgary. Uh, we are one of, if not the top, depending on which week and which month it is, uh, of COVID cases within the province of Alberta. From your standpoint as an elected official, how are Calgarians handling this pandemic, do you think? I mean, I would have to state overall, and that's where you come back from overall, I think they're doing a fairly decent job of doing it. Um, you're going to have that outliers uh, and coming back to the, you know, the individuals that are there. And I've had discussions with many people and, um, you know, the, the anti-mask rhetoric, and I, and I don't mind saying that is absolutely ridiculous. Um, you know, um, uh, someone takes a puff of, cigar of, a, of a cigarette, puts on a mask and then blows the smoke out and says, well, see, they're ineffective. Look at all the smoke that comes out. You know, I mean, uh, a mask is, is not going to save you in any way, shape or form. Um, but if you have COVID, that mask will greatly reduce the possibility of you giving it to someone else. And if you're not looking after other people, um, then you're not much of an individual, in my view, uh, you, know, you know, yourself. And my mother is, is turning 103. Um, and the last thing I want to do is pass on, even though um, we know the stats are that if you're elderly, um, and elderly in this case means over 60, because that's, yeah. uh, you know, <laughs> um, but if you're elderly or you're compromised, um, those are the populations most vulnerable. It's, it's attacking after, uh, you know, uh, anyone and everyone, um, and even some of the children, you know, that have some severe side effects to some degree. Um, but that's what society is all about, is, is, doing minor things like wearing a mask and, and, you know, and the, the, and I, I hesitate using some of the words, but you know, I may in this case is the stupidity of saying it infringes on your personal civil rights um, is, is just so far out there. I can't understand it. Um, the fact is that you might be able to save other people's lives by wearing a mask is uh, to me is different, but coming back to how we're handling it, um, you know, if I'm older, I get it. Um, you know, I'm, a, I'm an official senior citizen and, I, and I, I'm actually getting my, my old age pension soon. Um, so it, it may be different for me in the mentality, um, but I can survive of not going out for a beer with the buddies. Um, and if you can't, um, then uh, I have, a, I have a hard time understanding that, you know, but, that may do do the age, it may do do the uh, the civic responsibility I have, but um, it, it's definitely a, a a blow, and I don't know how how to overcome it. And and those are debates that we will have for a long time of whether we went overboard or did we do exactly what we had to do to lessen. Um, and uh, you know, those who are saying, "Look at our cases are terrible, so nothing you're doing is helping." Um, that's a debate. I, I don't know if if um, they didn't do lockdowns, whether it would be worse or not, to tell you the truth. But we can I think we can look at the states and a few of these others and 
yeah. and say, you know what? I think it would have been worse had we not done something. But um, I feel for those individuals who are, are suffering because of it, because in general, um, the small business, the service industry and uh, the oil industry, um, you know, have been hit extremely hard. Um, the rest of the occupations that, you know, we have there, they haven't been uh, affected as great, um, you know, but uh, the the service industry has, you know, many cases been decimated and and the, the reduced uh, oil demand and everything. And plus the other things that we've had in, in, in uh, Western Canada have really, really hurt, uh, you know, the economy. So that being said, um, I don't know where to go. You know, we see a federal government who believes just throwing money everywhere is the way to go. And I'm not positive if that's the aspect, but it's making other people's lives easier as well. But yeah, um, what's it going to do, you know, in, in 10 years when we really have to come face to face with the taxation that we have? Um, you announced in October that you would be stepping down, like I mentioned at the beginning of the interview. Um, a councillor's job is not done until that election day on October 20th or 21st of 2021. What's your priorities for the next few? What what are what is Councillor Keating gonna be trying to champion before his time in office is officially done? Well, I, I, I'm certainly going to be keep pushing on this green line. I mean, we've got to get the shovels in the ground before I quit, um, and then so that means I still have to do work with the provincial government, and and I'm doing that with some you know letter writing and and the research and a number of those sorts of things. Um, you know, I had a notice of motion. Uh, uh, a little while ago, looking after something in my ward, I have another one coming up talking about a high school that needs to be built in the south and what can the city do? Um, you know, so, I mean, the, those are those are still issues. And, and there there's no project that is uh, not worth pursuing, even though, uh, you know, some might try and label me as a lame duck. Um, but uh, the point is, I still have a vote for another year. Uh, I intend to use that vote to the best of my ability for for Ward 12 and for the city without question. Um, and if someone comes to me with an issue, and uh, I had a chat with an individual this morning, that uh, uh, you know someone took his sign down and and won't give it back. Um, you know, so those are those are the things that you do, um, uh, whether or not it, it's right or wrong, and uh, developing. Uh, uh, I'm having a meeting later today with uh, someone from the planning department because uh, some of the restrictions on a few of the development permits may seem a little excessive. So can we talk through and solve those issues? And so that's uh, that's the job and it'll go until um, election day. And and actually, I'm, an, I'm a counselor for a week after uh, election day because you're official uh, until the swearing in ceremony and then you're done. So. Um, one of your councillors, Councillor Ray Jones of my ward, Ward 10, up here in Northeast Calgary, stepped down earlier this uh, earlier in October, in October as well. Um, how has council been able to adapt to the reduction of that council? Are you guys looking after Ward 10 as properly as you can be in the situation with no sitting councillor in that position? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And on my own part, um, we are required to sit on two uh, committees, and I probably am the first councillor who has ever sat on all four of those because um, normally you divide it up and you each sit on two. Um, so I've taken over his spot on two of the committees he would normally sit, and so I sit on all four of those committees rather than just two. Um, so others are doing the same thing. We have councillor Giancarlo Carra and councillor uh, George Chahal who have uh, divided up his ward between them and they, they represent, uh, you know, him in that aspect because they, they straddle him on either side as it is. Um, and uh, what they've done is they, they've retained all of his staff and, and put the, his staff under the uh, supervision of the, uh, I believe the manager of the councillor of uh, manager of the um, councillor's coordinating officer office and so uh, she's supervising his staff uh, and they've taken his uh, word budget which allows them to do you know to mail outs and to you know uh, to coordinate things or or uh, a number of things um, and they've taken that budget and they've assigned it half to those two counselors that are looking after his word so they can still get the information they need and, and a number of those aspects so 
Um, I think that uh, as much as I hated to see him, you know, go, it was definitely the best decision. Um, but I think we've covered it very, very well. And, and I think those individuals will uh, continue to service uh, Ward 5 without a question. Uh, ward 10. Sorry, Ward 10. He used to be Ward 5 for years, yeah. and it still sticks in my head. Sorry. Yeah. Um, two last questions. Last question. What's the biggest uh, What's the biggest challenge Calgary faces heading into uh, 2021, 22, 23, 24 for the next council to deal with? What is the biggest issue? Is it COVID or is there some other underlying issue? No, the, the, I mean, those other issues, those are, are big issues to deal with, but they're issues to deal with. I personally think, and maybe that has a lot to do with my style as an elected official, I think the biggest issue that we have right now is, is getting rid of Trumpism. Um, and we've jumped into that mode. And, and you know, I, I could talk about a, a, a councillor who, in my view, is, is a mini Trump. Um, you know, um, the, the weaponized misinformation, the, the style of if I can make everyone else look bad, it makes me look good. Uh, the misinformation, the, the, uh, the way in, in things are said um, that absolutely are, are, in some cases, absolutely untrue, and, untrue and, and in many cases, just a misrepresentation of what actually went down. Um, I think we're delving into the slate of issues that are out there, um, you know, for the municipal election where uh, people are trying to, you know, get together a whole swack of people that have the same mentality which isn't going to give us good service, you know, as a municipality. If you don't have a, a wide ranging um, viewpoint on many issues, you don't get a great discussion and you don't get a great decision. Um, I think that uh, that is the most serious thing that I think municipal politics is, is um, going to difficulty. And I'll probably say the name wrong, um, but I met Craig Oliver, I believe is the correct way to say it. He was the CTV correspondent for many years. Yep. Um, okay. Uh, I met him a while back and uh, he said, so when are you going to run for provincial or federal uh, politics? And I said, never. And he was quite surprised that I would have that. And, and he said, why? And I said, well, um, Craig, I would sooner call you an idiot because you are not because you belong to the NDP party. Um, and, and I, I, you know, I, I can't go down that path, um, but that's what we're getting into in some cases in the municipal um, politics and the the Manning Foundation, even though it had its drawbacks, did a number of good things. I mean, it had a councillor tracker for a while, uh, and it showed that Calgary um, Municipal or the council here had the most diverse voting pattern of any major city across Canada. And and you could actually study them, and you would see places like Quebec City and Vancouver, and and where you know a whole group of people voted exactly the same every time a topic came up, and that defeats the whole purpose of democracy, um, you know, especially in municipal politics, where where it is you know like uh, down to getting the streets fixed, and you know, and making sure the snow was removed, and, and a number of those things, and giving equal disperse of recreation facilities and stuff. Um, you know, so that's, I would say that was my biggest fear is we're going to really see a downgrade in, in what actually Calgary's um, municipal politics is actually like. I am conscious of time, but I have one last question for you. The moment after the swearing in of the next Ward 12 councillor, what's the first thing you're going to do? Are you just going to sigh a relief or go just relax with your family? Or what is the first thing you're going to be doing? Yeah. No, I, but I think that's it. I mean, I, I, I am going to move. Uh, I'm going to retire in a, a smaller community. Um, and so that process is already in the, in the works. Um, and so that will probably be the, the last thing will be done is, is picking up the last little bit of stuff that has to be moved and, and do that. Um, and uh, I, I do want to uh, uh, take my time. And my wife and I are hoping to um, be a bit of a snowbird for, for three months in the winter and, and uh, escape. We'll, we'll plan that out and see if that works, you know, the way we want it to and decide whether we like it or not. And if we don't like it, well, um, you know, we'll find something else to do. Uh, I'm an avid woodworker and I have my shop already planned and it's built and it's, it's ready to go. Um, it's a matter of having the time to get in there. And so I, I hope that for many of my uh, children and grandchildren, I'll be able to make something that they might want to keep for a long time. 
That's awesome. Councillor Keating, I want to thank you so much for doing this. Greatly appreciate it. It's been a pleasure chatting with you and getting to know the man behind the tweets and the person who's behind the podium at the council table. So thank you so much. No, thank you. It's been a great discussion. I enjoyed it. Thank you once again for listening to the Cross Border Interview Podcast. If you love this episode of the Cross Border Interview Podcast, head over to iTunes or wherever you get your podcast and subscribe, rate us, and leave us a review. All the links to our social media accounts are in the show notes or visit www.crossborderinterviews.ca. The Cross Border Interview Podcast was produced and edited by Miranda Brown and Associates Incorporated. Be sure to tune in for our next episode of the Cross Border Interview Podcast. Once again, thank you. Whoa!